Welcome to another episode of Europe's B2B SaaS sales podcast. Today with Bijo Ramsudin, uh, showing sales reps how to prospect and book more meetings with decision makers that convert to deals or really qualified sales uh, leads as well. Um, Bijo, you started actually as a fundraiser and team leader talk to move in sales um, nearly a decade ago. Now um, teach from the SDRs and videos uh, as part of the sales playbook extended team as a mastermind as well. Can you share a bit what brought you into sales initially and like how you landed in fundraising and then to tech sales? Well, the answer might actually surprise you. It was a coincidence. Um, so I, before I went to talk to move, I was studying something completely different. Uh, I, I was actually studying something called molecular biotechnology in Heidelberg. And I really didn't like it. I don't know why I chose it. Probably it's because to make my parents happy, if I'm being very honest. And then I quit my and I quit uh, the university and I just wanted to find a job to earn some money, help my parents. Um, and I really just applied for that fundraising job without even reading the, the description of the job. I just, <laughs> I just saw that, hey, it looks like I can earn some good money there. And then this lady called me and she was like, hey, you applied for this job. And I was like, yeah, can you please tell me what this job is about? I didn't even know what it's about. And I went and I went and I had this uh, like kind of conversation with them. It wasn't even like a conversation. It was like a presentation for a lot of people. And then they told us to fill a paper. And I really just went there with no expectations. And I didn't even know that this is what was going to happen. And then I started fundraising and I was like, wow, I actually love talking to people and building connections with people and motivating people to take decisions. So it was really a coincidence that I got into sales. <laughs> and I think, I think it was for so many of us, like myself, like 2009 for two months should have done it longer, in especially exactly the same fashion, right? Like some summer job fell apart and did it. Jamal Raimo who closed 350 million deals for Oracle, mm. started with that, the, the best Salesforce prep, like in Cognac started in like selling copiers, like when going from office to office and selling Rico printers. Uh, can you share a bit about these three years I talked to more like what you learned there and like, what was literally SDR work, right? I mean, the, nobody was calling it sales development rep. It was just dialogue, yeah. right? Yeah. So I would say like, there's like two super important learnings. The first one is just how to deal with rejections. Yeah. Because the amount of rejection, I mean, you had that experience on the street. We're literally addressing or trying to talk to plus 200 people a day. Right interrupting people while they're shopping so this is a little bit different than a cold call you know like you're talking to people face to face and the amount of rejection is unreal per day so many rejection one rejection after the other and this is not like a cold call you might do 30 dials and reach five people and get rejected four times this is we're talking 100 to 150 rejections a day so the the, the amount of resilience that i built in that job that's helping me today doing cold calls is amazing you know it just it just basically taught me that hey you know what you can never take a rejection personally yeah. it's never personal and i even had experiences where i was in one city where i addressed the same person two days on two separate days and the first day they told me no and they were actually really angry at me and the second day they actually stopped and talked with me this <laughs> shows again that sometimes prospects are just having a bad day and reps take it personally. And I've yeah. had this even on cold calls where I would call the same prospect two weeks ago and I would have a cool conversation with him. 
So this is the first learning. Like we can, you can never take a rejection first. It's nothing to do with you. It says nothing about you. I think that's such an important learning to to be detached from the outcome and, and just invest in the process. And you mentioned that before. Uh, it's like, mm -hmm. hey, you just love helping people take an informed decision, right? It's not about making money. It's not so much about like closing a deal, right? Yeah, it's just about leading someone who wants leading someone into a decision that's going to make them happy. You know, if somebody is going to take a decision feeling happy, especially because when it's about the fundraising, it's a little bit different because they're not really getting anything in return. They're just donating money. Yeah. So taking them into that decision is just is, is just amazing. Yeah, and I think that's that's an important point. Also, we talked about this a bit in the briefing. Um, what do you see happening to many SDRs that they get pushed like quotes from the investor puts it to the board, to the CEO, to the VP sales, to the SDR lead, to the SDR, and so like generate like 100 SQLs a month, which might be completely unrealistic. And then doesn't really give them the tools to like, well, run outbound sequences and all the functional stuff, but also to deal with rejection and build this resilience. Mm -hmm. Can you share like a, a quick win as if I'm an SDR right now and getting into this role, this high pressure, um, what can I do to build this resilience and not take things personally? Well, I mean, the first thing is there has to be, this is again, like goes back to management, right? Like, because this is an SDR who's just, for example, a first time SDR doesn't know that they need that skill. You know, yeah. I feel like the, a lot of times SDRs, there's a lot of things that they don't know that they don't know. Mm -hmm. And these are the, the most dangerous things about the job. So for me, this is, yes, the SDR has to go and first of all, understand the customer and be prepared and understand how to do the process and how the script works. But this is a manager's job to sit down at the beginning and do 200 role plays with them in one week yeah, and get them rejected from the team internally until they feel really comfortable, at least within the team. Because once they go out, they are going to get rejected. They are going to get nervous. They are going to feel doubtful. But they have to first feel comfortable doing that role play, for example, if it's a cold call, with their own, within their own team. I'm not saying one role play. I'm not saying two role plays. The manager has to really invest the time yeah. and do a lot of role plays with the SDR to get which, them. Which is which is interesting yeah. because in, in like a talk to move where you've been in like face-to-face -face sales, it, you didn't need the role plays, right? It was just real. It was just like Monday morning, 8 a.m., like 200 conversations a day, like 195 rejections, five yeah. disclosed, right? You didn't do role plays. Like how can you transfer this face-to-face -face or door-to-door -door sales model to tech sales, right? And because it's hard for a manager to do 200 mock-up calls with every rep that he hires, if you go quickly. Well, honestly, like you can't 100% replicate it. It's mm. impossible because the amount you need to see it from, it has to do with the volume. Like you're right, when it's yeah. about fundraising, you go on the street and you have an unlimited amount of volume. You can have so many conversations in one day, but if you're doing cold calls, you might have five to 10 conversations in one day. So the volume of, 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 of practice is way less in prospecting. It's yeah. very important. In fundraising, the volume of practice is unreal. Yeah. But in prospecting, it's not. So the only way to replicate it is to, again, to do so many internal role plays and then go out and do it and, and just experience. You know, just yeah. to go out, get rejected, record calls. This is very important, record calls. I know there's a lot of people talking about, about uh, data protection, stuff like that. I mean, you know, like if, if you're not going to go the extra mile and maybe step behind the line every once in a while, you're not going to get better. So I tell this to SDRs, record your calls, listen to your calls with your managers, reflect and give feedback. 
you know, and then do more role plays and then play exactly these. So there's a thing like when you listen to cold calls of SDRs, you will notice patterns of where things are going wrong. Mm -hmm. You will notice the patterns and the manager has to realize these patterns and replicate exactly these kind of turning points in cold calls in the role plays. This is the only way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm regarding behind the stepping line because there's quite a few people listening to this podcast, right? I don't think that's necessary even like, I mean, we just ask every time, like, is it okay for you if you record this call for internal purposes? Yeah. Nine out of yeah. 10 people is like, sure. Otherwise you quit the recording, yeah. but nine out of 10 recordings serves you fine. So so completely okay if you do for this sure. with unique or another solution. And for sure. I think this is something from professional sports, from professional athletes as well, right? If you talk to a tennis professional, so he's going to watch footage also of the other person but also of, of him or herself every time and that's just like an elite athlete mindset what's what's a point why so few people do that in your perspective and reflect on their own performance and want to learn they just do more right is that so much on the pressure that comes from the, the sales manager is it like an unwillingness to learn or is it, do they simply not know how to because they've never been shown so you mean like right now like why would an sdr want to listen to their recordings yeah the because in, in my experience like in face-to-face -face, like there was always somebody watching right like we've been yeah. watching each other also as peers and we've just been watching like what's happening from maybe 10 20 meters away and then afterwards we hey by the way like what worked really well for me like in this city is xyz and why don't you start with a case study next time or this is like a microscript like for me it was like no and the last part is like, otherwise I slap you in the face. Like, and then people stopped. It's like, hey, you're not going to slap me in the face. No, but otherwise you will not stop because this job is hard and you're on the way to the train station. Can I explain briefly how you can donate for less than a gin tonic and get an education for a kid somewhere where it's harder than in Germany, Switzerland? It's like, yeah, cool, hit me up. So sharing these little learnings and microscripts like was so important for us. Like, and, and the learning curve was insane, right? 100%. So, I mean... I mean, Steve Jobs said you can never connect the dots moving forward, but yeah. only moving backwards, you know? Yeah. So you cannot understand what you're doing wrong and what you're doing right by only just keep going at it and doing more, more cold calls. There needs to be this step back for SDRs. But again, like the first, the, the first part is, do they have the motivation to get better? That's the first question. Because if an SDR is not motivated to get better, they're not going to care. So that's the first point. The emotional part has to be, I want to get better. This is why athletes do it. Because athletes yeah. are just insanely motivated to win so competitive you know so they have to be like what i want to do everything to get better i want to train as much as possible and i want to look at mistakes you know and then you, you you said something very important before you said like also when people listen to the recordings of other people right? yeah because i i one of my mentors when once told me a very good way to learn is from your own mistakes a way better way to learn is from other people's mistakes for sure because you know, they already did it and you can they already did like it. okay this was the mistake this is how i fixed it good this is i think where like um for people like you sharing these insights on a podcast such as this are so valuable because then people don't need years to figure out the stuff that took us probably years they can just like they're like oh okay good this is this is helpful yeah. um let's talk a bit about um unrealistic sdr goals as well like what, why are they happening what what can both sales leaders and SDRs do to cope with them, right? Because the pressure is real, like especially in venture back B2B SaaS startups, like to, to go from one to four to 10 million AR quickly, for example, and the pressure trickles down. What can I do as a sales manager to help my SDRs be successful 
and build that resilience and not crumble under the pressure, under unrealistic pressure. Yeah. So here, just just to step back, like why do why do these goals come in the first place? Why do the, the investors and the founders create these goals? They create these goals because they don't have an understanding of the prospecting world, prospecting world. They don't know how it works. They've never done it before. Most of them. Right? Yeah. How many how many founders have done prospecting? They think it's easy. You send hundred emails and you get this much because they've never done it before. If you want to take a good example of how to really do it, look for example at Unique and Patrick's team. He yeah. got the whole team from the founders down to do cold calls. That's the way to do it. So the whole culture of the company is different. Huh? Yeah. Now, what do, now what do sales managers do? Again, like this is, has to do, there's, there's two aspects here. The first aspect here, do I have senior SDRs or do I have junior SDRs, right? So if I have junior SDRs, huh, the most important thing that an SDR manager has to do at the beginning, this is I see like a mistake is focusing on product training. That's, a, mm -hmm. that's a, in my opinion, that's a mistake because think about it this way. You know how it is in sales. Sales is a good sales is customer centric. It's problem centric. It's not product centric. So imagine I'm an, you're, you're a new first time SDR because most SDRs are new, new SDRs. They are SDRs for one, two years and then become account executives. Right? Yeah. Nobody stays in SDR their whole life. Everybody's in it. SDR one to two years and then they jump. So which which Patrick and I talk a lot about, like the SDR, like why not be an SDR for life? I mean, I I, I love being an SDR. I'm like I, I'm not founder and CEO officially, but I'm actually founder and SDR. Like because we have this conversation internally that for for the founder, it's actually easier to generate sales qualified leads than for, for sure. a junior team member due to authority network inbound and so on. So if you can teach people how to close deals, why should the founder or like the, the VP sales not play an SDR role? And I think that has a lot to do with the image of an SDR as an entry-level thing, right? Um, yeah. How can we improve that image of, of an SDR, right? Well, I mean, we, we can only improve the image of an SDR by really looking at what SDRs are actually achieving. That's the first point. I have a team that I work with. Um, they have, I think, 11 SDRs, and they sourced 50 million in revenue last year. Crazy. You know, like, when you look at these numbers, you know, and a founder who's never done sales before look at this and understands, well, I just made this much amount of money because of some junior people. Yeah. So there has to be this first realization of their importance because yeah? they are like literally on the front line of attack. <laughs> yeah. Think about it this way. You know, not marketing. SDRs are the front line of attack of any company. You know, so, so, so founders need to just, I think like they need to look at this for really take a step back and be like, wow, like our SDRs are, are amazing. And then they need to ask themselves the question, like, do I really, because you, you, have a, you have a background in sales, right? So you come from sales, you became a founder and you love doing it, you know? Yeah. For, for other founders who don't have a background in sales, maybe they, they don't have this, they, they don't feel like they have this, you know, personality to be in sales, which is totally fine, you know? So I'm not saying every founder should do sales, but I feel like to, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying every founder should do sales. But I'm, I'm saying so. I'm you, happy you, to you, say so. You are happy to do sales, but like you're the exception of the exception. To be very honest, right? If you look at the very successful founders out there, like, like the Sarah Blakely of Spanx, like longest self-made billionaire, right? Started selling copiers, like door to door, so like ConvertKit, Nathan Barry, like on a podcast like who did these outreaches right like me like until the first million like Guillaume Mubesh like Lemlist was all him like zero to one million like he did the outreach he did the campaigns and 
I think even if you don't do it at that scale, I think as a founder, like the business founder, the CTO doesn't necessarily need to get that in, involved, but you founder does it first. I think I like that, uh, that input from comics, right? Because how can you expect somebody else to do something that's not validated? Yeah. So, 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 so now you mean like even, for example, at early stages when a company is just getting founded? Before yeah, they when, you launch, when you launch a new offering, when you launch a new market, when you launch uh, and to a new selling to a new ICP, to a new ideal customer profile, how can you expect other people to do it if you don't do it yourself? I mean, this is in, in old very, warfare, very, yeah. like the general was the guy in front with the flag, right? Not the guy in the office, like go <laughs> kill people. And, and I mean, yeah. we, we need to get back to the mindset that like of, of founder does it first or leader does it first. Yeah, so so basically, I mean, when it comes to let's there's two things: the early stage startups. Yes, I mean, a founder has to do sales, and every founder does do sales. Not everybody does it as well as possible. One time, I uh, I think um, Stephanie Beeble talked about this in one of her posts that um, she said that a lot of founders at the beginning, even if they don't have a background in sales, they end up getting the first deals just out of energy and vision. Yeah, just because they're very good at communicating that vision, you know, until they get to the point where they delegate it. But just yeah. like you said, like if you look, you're right. Like if you look at the very, very big companies, very successful companies, a lot of their founders are internally salespeople, you know, and they come from sales. You know, but now if you're talking about a company that's already existing and they're launching a new product, have you ever seen that actually happening? That a company that's already created, there's a team, there's a sales team, and they launch a new product, and then the founder actually goes out and starts selling that product instead of hiring, for example. A VP that runs it. Um, I see. It ha- I see it happening a lot, like with the really good companies. I mean, for example, Lara, mm. our head of customer success, told me when she was a beekeeper, and she was like a beekeeper, uh, basically two thousand seven, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, right? Uh, so the company was already more than five years old, like at five to seven, depending on which stage. And okay. the founder and CEO, Chris Grossman, was still regularly involved in deals, especially if it was concerning a new segment or like a larger deal size or like a different different market offering. And he was he was involved, right? And it was like, hey, to the whole sales force, like, hey, call me up if you need me, right? Call me or, or Stutti, like the, the co-founder, like also business co-founder or the VP sales or the team lead. like. What uh, Jamal Reimer mentioned, like in, in enterprise sales, like really mega deals, the company needs to work for the salesperson in that regard and, and serve as a closing asset or like a trust asset or a reference. And so on. this is what we're doing right now with Fabian a lot. Like Fabian Scheller, our senior account executive, he's calling me in like for the decision calls. Like, hey, can you, can you come in there? Can you tell the story from a similar customer that I haven't experienced? Can you come and share like some industry insights? And this, this is my job to serve the sales rep there. For sure. And Eric used to, like Eric Famula, our CEO at Solvemate, when me and Jonas were there, he also used to jump on very big, very big deals at the last stage just to meet the people. At least you kind of just put a face behind the company. Um, but, but do you think like in these situations that the founder should actually go out and prospect and create leads and cold call or just join those situations as you just said? No, I think should still cold call, right? I mean, this is, this is the way how you stay closest to the market. Um, sure. yeah. I mean, if you like the, the, to stay with the elite athletes again, like the soccer coach is still playing soccer sometimes, right? Like the fighting coach is still sparring a bit. Like you need to sure. stay close to the evolution of the sport to stay in that analogy as well, right? You need to see what's happening. Yeah. Otherwise, you get, I think, sales leaders is like, oh, 
I, when I was back in 1980, like I had like the phone book, like, and I had the letters I and J and I, in Sweden, and I called everybody, this is the way to do prospecting. I, I know such a guy, like very successful VC. And it constantly like, and the time made this was 40 years ago, there's LinkedIn and stuff. I was like, yeah, I don't believe in LinkedIn. Call up, call, pick up the phone. Yes, and call, pick up the phone. Wow. Which is good, which is good. But then you need to complement it, right? With like video prospecting, LinkedIn, content creation, like multi-channel, multi-spreading, like all the stuff that's available today. So basically, if we look at a lot of successful companies, we see that there's a pattern there, right? So maybe this is like kind of a message to everybody listening to this. If you're a founder, that if you look at very, very successful companies, their founders are doing sales. Yes. So that's, yes, that's, that, that, that is a clear data proven statement or insight, basically, if you think about it this way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And um, before we dive into some rapid fire questions, um, you mentioned uh, that, it, that it's, it's really like frustrating for STRs, right? Like that when they get, when they join a company, they get unrealistic goals, which are not achievable. Nobody else has done so before. What do you do as an STR? Do you just quit? Do you go to your manager and say, like, can you ha- lower my quota? Do you ask for like better tools? What's what's a way to cope with this without just like going from company to company and quit? Yeah. So here, here's what Jonas and I did when we were hired because we were, we were exactly at that situation. So we've been through that exact experience. Mm-hmm. And what we basically did was we just we just did a lot of coachings, external coachings. Yeah. That's what we did because. We were, we were at an early stage in a company where there was nobody before us that actually created a, like a repeatable outbound system. Mm-hmm. So yes, the founder was doing here, the, the, the co-founder, the VP of sales was doing a little bit here, the account executives were doing a little bit here and there, but it was random. It was not really systemized. And you know, if you want to be a successful SDR, you need to systemize prospecting. It has to get systemized for it to be repeatable. But also for the have, company to be predictable, ex- right? Exactly, for the company to have predictable sales. And not only did we not know how to sell B2B, because Jonas, actually my, my business partner, he also comes from fundraising. So me and him, mm-hmm. we have the exact. So we had the mentality that just keep going at people, but we didn't have the system and we didn't even know how to build the system. That's the thing. So we didn't know what we didn't know. So we had to go and take coachings and try a lot of things. We went into like a scientific kind of approach where we were trying a lot of different things that we were learning from different coaches mm-hmm. and we were re- uh, basically um, uh, de- documenting everything we were doing and we were reflecting on what we were doing once a week, twice a week, yeah. every month and looking what's working, what's not working. Okay, we tried this for one month, obviously it's not working, let's try something new. Mm-hmm. But, we, we, but we needed somebody external to tell us, hey, this is how you test things. This is how this is the numbers you want to look at. These are the benchmarks of the market. We didn't have that information, and our company didn't have that information. Yeah. So we needed somebody to kind of give us a roadmap of how do we figure this out. And this was this was, was this was our goal at the beginning. Our goal at the beginning, although we had those unrealistic goals, unrealistic uh, like numbers, you, the goal of Jonas and I was. Let's figure out the process that works first. And let's not look at how many meetings we're booking. The meetings are going to come. Let's just mm-hmm. find, find some things where we know people are reacting positive, positively to us. That's yeah. the first step. Get people to respond to us and then rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat until we got to a point. It took us alone because we, t- we took a lot of coaching, a lot of uh, courses and stuff. It took us around 
two and a half quarters to crack that process. Yeah. But until then, I booked, I, I opened one opportunity in my first quarter as an STR. Yeah. One. And it was by chance. It was coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Then I think that that's what's happened. That's what's not talked about, right? In North America, there's like RepView, R-E-P-V-U-E.com, for example, where you can go in. It's like how many reps hit quota, like what's the median average maximum salary and so on. Like, and I think that that's just clearly missing, like in, in DOC. So um, maybe, maybe asking like a few rapid fire questions, right? Also, because I think this is interesting. And just, just answer like the first thing that comes to mind, like where today, like where do you learn yourself more about b2b sales about like sdr work um any podcasts books people you can recommend so now the, the things that i'm personally doing is i'm following a lot of interesting people on linkedin and i'm seeing what are they doing and some of them are publishing really cool courses and i'm getting and i'm getting those courses i'm i'm, I'm still buying sales courses until today you know yeah you cool. know uh, if, if, if there's one book i can i can recommend fanatical prospecting everybody knows that book that's an amazing book it's it's just a good uh, found it's it's a good foundation because it explains the mentality of, of of prospecting and how people who are doing prospecting should view it you know not from the product side but from a customer side you know be very customer centric and this is something uh, that that's very well talked about in that book so yeah, yeah. for me it's linkedin and and, and books most and fanatical prospecting i think Chad blunt if i remember correctly. exactly Jed yeah blunt, exactly and what's something you wish you would have known when you were 20 and how old are you now? Can be sales or life. I, I'm, 20, I'm 27 now. And when I started, uh, when I started, uh, when I started as an SDR, if there's one thing that I wish I knew was that prospects buy to solve a problem and not buy to get a value. Yeah. I think that they, that's, that's an amazing insight. Like people never buy what you sell, right? <laughs> They buy, the, they buy a solution to their problem. That's the only thing they care about. And if I understood that at the beginning, I would have changed my messaging way longer ago and I would have had way better uh, results way faster. Yeah. And, and what's, what's one interesting trend you see in B2B sales, especially if it comes to prospecting? Like, how will that look like in 2025 compared to today? How will prospecting and anything like. that you see happening like video prospecting or multi-threading or a canvas setting um, at scale um, content creation yeah Con content creation linkedin right now if people start to to create content now in, in 2025 they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna getting they're gonna get a lot of traction and they're gonna build a lot of social proof because we always say that now it's a buyer's market not a seller's market and it's shifting even more and more and more Every day, every day, yeah. And, and social proof is going to get more and more and more important. And social proof is not only references because every, a lot of people have references. But social proof is going to be who has more expertise and yeah. who, can, who can I trust more? So I already started creating content and I see a lot of good SDRs are creating content. And I think that, the, uh, again, like connected with multi-thread because I believe cold call is never going to die. No. Because uh, <laughs> like, like a connection through the voice will always be better. But if somebody is connected with you on LinkedIn and they see that you are constantly creating content and then you hit them up on the phone, it's half, it's, they already know who you are. So it's just yeah. a different, it's a different game. So this is how I see prospecting developing in the next couple of years. There's going to be a lot of uh, content creation or there should be a lot of content creation. Really love that content mindset. So wrapping it up, thanks so much, uh, Bijou, for taking the time to talk with us. 
how you went from molecular biology into sales, thriving in face-to-face -face <laughs> sales at Talk to Move, and also being okay with rejection and resilience, but not unrealistic goals for SDRs without getting external support. And I think the three key insights I took away is like rejection requires resilience. And I mean, the rejection is unreal in face-to-face -face sales. Like you do 200 plus outreaches per day, getting rejected 180 plus times every day, right? Like no, no breaks and just never take it personally, focus on improving the process. And two things, how to improve the process, also record and review sales calls, both the sales manager and the rep then reconstruct the mock-up calls and then rinse and repeat. So do that at scale, not only to one, two mock-up calls and be done. And yeah. also that requiring an elite mindset, uh, elite athlete mindset. So you need people want to improve 1% every day and get feedback, implement quickly, continue learning. And this is 100% to do with getting the right coaching to build the right sales systems and 0% with product training, actually. 100%. So really, really cool um, insights. Thanks so much for sharing these ones. Visual looking forward to keeping you on board uh, as an SDR coach for our Wednesday small group coaching call and all the best of success. Manuel, thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, glad to be here.